I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Warning. 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 Trigger alert. She about to say some real shit. Gobble, gobble. Oh my God. It's almost Thanksgiving. Are you excited to see your family? I am. And then I'm excited to drink a lot and ignore them. That is my plan. Today's guest is a very important woman in my life in many people's lives. She was able to see these huge hunking trains with names on them and realize the cultural significance and the effort and work that it took to put these things out and recognized it to be an important appendage of art. She understood that this was a movement onto itself. Using her eye for photography and aesthetics, she was able to document some of the most important graffiti that was ever painted in its infancy when style had no rules, when people were innovating, they were using found objects and very rudimentary tools to create this huge global movement that we now call graffiti culture. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Martha Cooper, who is blessing us with her presence today. Besides being such a incredible photographer, being such a steadfast documentarian, she is also a lovely, lovely person. Please stay tuned for the interview with this powerhouse. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I am honored to have today's guest here with me, somebody who I've looked up to since I was a kid, someone who's shaped the culture that I am proudly a part of, someone who has always given me love and support from the first time I ever met her, and someone who I really think is the queen of graffiti, who sort of midwifed this too popular culture and showed the world what she saw. Thank you so much for joining us today, Martha Cooper. Well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> but I don't know about the midwife part. I do. I feel like... <laughs> Who was giving birth? Who was giving birth? Uh, all these men, right? But you sort of helped flow that life out from there <laughs> into the world. You don't All see right. it like that? Well, you don't th- um, feel like you're a conduit in, okay, in sort of... I like the word conduit. Okay. Somehow midwife you know what? <laughs> conjures I, up images of right, babies but, coming out of wombs. But I, you know, I realize there's like mothers and midwives of culture that sort of, yes, it has a sort of like a sticky uh, connotation to it, but yet without them, we wouldn't have what we have. Do you know what I mean? That you are a mother of the culture as well as somebody who I, I don't even know. Of, yeah, you know, a conduit, a conduit. Anyway, you, I appreciate your introduction. For me, Claw, of course, is one of the few women who I really respect in the world of graffiti because she is out there and always has been out there and willing to do all kinds of outrageous things that most women just wouldn't be willing to do. Well, let's talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> So, a young woman growing up in Baltimore, your dad and your uncle owned a camera store. Did they own it together or do they have two separate stores? No, they owned it together. They owned it mm-hmm. together. And you were introduced to photography at a young age? Correct. When I was in nursery school, actually. So, you were given a camera? I was given were... a little camera. Mm-hmm. And Which was... I carried around. I mean, you know, didn't take very good pictures, but I did take some pictures. So what were you thinking about when you were taking those pictures? Oh, who can remember? I can barely remember what I was thinking about yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. No, I, I, you know, I took pictures of my dog. I took pictures of my wagon, you know, the, but I, I don't really remember the act of taking pictures. I just have seen some of those pictures over the years. Uh-huh. And so, okay, so you're in nursery school taking pictures, and then were you taking pictures all through elementary school, junior high, and yeah, high school? I mean, I my father would just, as soon as I got a little better, he would give me the, the next better camera, and I continued to take pictures right through high school and college. And did your father take pictures? Yes, my father was a very good photographer. And what was his, uh, what was his focus? 
Well, he used to take me on what he called camera runs. Like on the weekend, we would go out with the Baltimore Camera Club and they would go to some like the harbor in Baltimore, which was not built up the way it is now. And we'd walk around and take pictures. So he he was more of an looking for an artistic picture. Is it uh, like a landscape? Yeah, or? more like, okay. you know, play of light and shadow and not so much a people photographer, but he was a good photographer. And you had sort of an accelerated school experience. You graduated high school very young, graduated college very young. True. And you went I on. I did not like school. And, and but you yet you were an overachiever. Or were you just I, rushing no, to get out of there? I was just rushing to get out of there. <laughs> I'm like, she's a I did, it wasn't graduated no, college at no. 19. Yes, but I, I didn't really get good marks or anything. <laughs> I just was like taking extra courses because I wanted to get out of there. And, but it, you were majoring in English? No, I, I was an art major. Oh, you were an art major. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you didn't like art school? Or the school no, you were in no, wasn't like... No, it was like, all right. I mean, I, I, I wasn't particularly good at art. I did do one. They didn't really have any photography. I did one independent project in photography. No, I just, I'm not much of an academic. So then, okay, so you're finished with school. Then then where do you go? Well, that was a good question. I didn't know where to go, but luckily for me, President Kennedy started the Peace Corps. So I'm like, good. That sounds interesting. And I applied and I went into the Peace Corps directly. And you were, te- that you were teaching That's English. when I taught English. Correct. Which I was definitely not good at. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy to ta- teach English. I taught English in Thailand. And at the time, they didn't have any special materials uh-huh. for teaching English to Thai students. And the two languages are completely different. I mean, for example, Thai doesn't really have prepositions like in, and you know, on, of, and how do you teach something like that? And I had no idea. So huh. I wasn't good at it. I would imagine that it would be difficult not knowing the, the second language. You know, right? we had like, intensive training in Thai before we left. And I knew enough to say, you know, the kinds of sentences I needed to say. But it just was... It, if you don't know how to teach English as a foreign language, it's not. It does not come naturally. I I would imagine that it would be very difficult. But you had this free spirit. You wanted to help people, so you joined the Peace Corps because that's well, what you adventure seeking <laughs> young yeah. people do. In yeah. the, uh, I mean, you know. helping people was maybe not the first thing on my mind about joining the Peace Corps. So what was it? No, it's more like the adventure, yes, and also at a time when I didn't know what else to do with my life, and it just seemed like, wow, okay, this opened up and was an opportunity. So you were in Thailand, and then you went to Japan? Was it from there, or you came back first? Okay, because I'm trying to... I drove a motorcycle across. I bought a motorcycle. At the end of the Peace Corps, they gave... Of course you did, Marty. Yes, they they gave you a choice of 500 of your, your... plain fare home or $500. And I took the $500 and I bought a motorcycle and I headed across Asia. Wild. Would you look back at that as like one of the most exciting adventures of your life? It was pretty exciting. Oh, I imagine mm-hmm. so. You know, and then I met a guy and he had a motorcycle. So then there were two of us driving across Asia <laughs> through Afghanistan, 
Wow. Uh, at, you know, Iran. Were you taking that, pictures then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have pictures. I should have brought the, there's a few in the hip hop files. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't have that much film with me. So. And was film hard to come by yes. over there? Yes. Oh, interesting. Film was hard to come by. But okay, I so have pictures. You were, you were riding around. And then how did you find yourself in Japan taking pictures of tattoo culture? Uh, okay. Well, there's a big gap there. There is. I <laughs> yes. know. Because I'm, I'm telling you, when I do research, there's like missing 20 years. Yeah, I mean, stuff. I went, I did a year of graduate work in anthropology in England at Oxford. Then I went to, I thought I wanted to work in an anthropology museum. Okay. Because I was interested in all kinds of ethnic art. You know, weaving and pottery and carving. Oh, you love, you love the folk arts. Yes, folk art. So I did go to work at Yale, and I met a man, an anthropologist, and we got married, and he was doing research in Japan. So I followed my then-husband to Japan huh? and got interested in tattooing while I was there and shot the pictures that are now in a book, which you must be talking about. Have you you've seen that book? I have seen that book. Mm-hmm. 1970. We're now in 1970. So Peace Corps was 63, 65. Okay. Japan, 70. Okay. And then... And then... You were like, I'm out of here. Um. Well, we moved to Rhode Island because okay. he, had, he was teaching anthropology. And I worked a little bit for the Narragansett Times, which was a newspaper in Rhode Island. And yes, I was like... I want to work for the New York Times, and I want to work for the Narragansett Times. So I basically moved to New York. And that was, you dissolved your relationship. Well, for five years, we commuted back and forth, and then that was that. Right. Yes. That did not work. Yeah, it's very, that would be very difficult. It's very difficult to be married in in, In any case. In any case (laughs) whatsoever. Right. So then you moved to New York. I moved to New York, 75. And you were like, I'm going to get involved in the press? Well, that was, I thought I wanted to be a newspaper photographer. Okay. And photograph um, what? Or they just send you on assignments and um, you just photograph well, one of whatever. The things, one of the things was I had been an intern at National Geographic in 1968. They take three interns every year. And that had been before I got married. And one of the things about National Geographic was that they they thought in order to work for Geographic, you should work for newspaper. So in the back of my mind, I wanted to work for National Geographic, and I thought that working for a newspaper would help get me there. Okay. And in fact, it did. I did get some assignments from Geographic, which turned out to be very difficult assignments. I did a story on pollen. Oh my goodness! How do you pollen, photograph? You know, how do you pollen, photograph well, that? That's that's, <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> but it's out there. It was it became a cover story? It was my only geographic cover story. Was about pollen. Yes. I mean, it's a big it's it, and um, it's a big deal. Pollen. Yeah. Well, it affects a lot of people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there was a lot about allergies in the story, but also about bees. And bees dying out and hand pollinating. Like I went to Japan for that story again, just just to take pictures of hand pollinating uh, fruit trees because the bees had died. Wow! And this is still a problem. This today. is still uh, still a problem. Yeah. Or, or yeah. I wonder you know. if it's like cyclical, where there's a bunch of bees that die mm. in a certain area and then they like repopulate it. And I, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, human error. And global warming and all uh, kinds of of course, of course, 
bad things that we're doing to the environment. And the bees can't survive. But anyway. So now um, you came back to New so, York and okay, you moved so I, where? I, uh, Upper West Side. Okay. I've always, I, I got some, you know, yeah, always lived on the Upper West Side. Reading at first. Um, had a roommate and got a job with the New York Post. So then I was out with my camera every day on the streets of New York. And that was exciting. I was going to say that must have been really exciting. So mm -hmm. would you? it would just vary from day to day. They'd say yep. you're going to photograph this. Okay. And remember, it was pre-internet, pre-computer. Sure. So we had radios. So they would, you know, the jobs, with, there were police radios back at the city desk. The post was located on the lower, remember, way downtown uh, huh. on South Street, near the South Street seaport. So they would, you know, send us out on all kinds of assignments, many of which had to do with trying to get to crime scenes before they cleared them away. You know, there'd be a shooting somewhere and you'd right. race, race to try to get there before, or, you know, before they dra drag the body away or something like that. And... What would you, you say was your like most exciting assignment from back then? You really expect me to remember? <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering. Um, I know I'm like that too. When people ask me stuff. Um, well, I will actually. I'll tell you. Maybe the most exciting assignment was that Three Mile Island happened while I was there. And they, uh -huh. I mean, they didn't usually send us out of town, but there was a nuclear leak at Three Mile Island, and they sent me there to cover this and. Were you scared? About well, I mean, I was like a little radiation? concerned that okay. I might be breathing in some stuff that, you know, would hurt me later. And but so far, so good. Okay. But on the other hand, it was trying to get the story when there were thousands of news crews from all over the world, and I got some really good pictures that AP and UPI picked up and were published around the world and that made me feel really good because I was in this international environment of newspaper photographers and I was able to compete with them and so I like that. And you stayed on at, an important story. On an on a very important mm -hmm. story. And so you stay you stayed at the post for another 10 years or no, so. No, 3 years. For only 3, three years. years. 77 to 80 at the post. And while I was there, we one of the things we were supposed to do is to shoot weather pictures. Like today, it's raining. So our assignment would always be to try to get a good picture of rain. So would it be like a yeah, portrait people, of somebody with an umbrella? Umbrella, like or? jumping over a puddle ah. or, you know, something a little unusual, maybe falling into the... For the post, they would like it if they were falling they into would. the puddle. Of course they would. <laughs> um, but... That was an ongoing assignment every day. And so I was always driving around looking for these odd shots. And I began driving through the Lower East Side on my way back to develop my film and taking pictures of kids who were doing interesting things. And that's how I got into graffiti. So, Well, I know you, you love to sort of capture portraits, but that was more sort of personal then. Yeah, but they often published, I still have newspaper clippings from that time, and they would publish those, you know, kids that were building a little house in a vacant lot or kids that were um, playing with, you know, what all kinds of found objects in those lots that were are now 
have been rebuilt, but at the time they were the there were tons Lower of, East Side, right. tons of tons of abandoned and kids that were had clubhouses and abandoned buildings, that kind of thing. So, uh, and then one day, a boy showed me his notebook of graffiti and said, "Well, why don't you take pictures of graffiti?" And Is that, that he was, three? Yeah, it was he three? Was and he that was three? like a little light bulb went on because at the time I didn't understand what graffiti was. Where's he three now? Well, he three showed up at the house of wall the last time I was shooting it, and I have his telephone number. Amazing. Leck, L-E-C. Hi, Leck, if you're listening. Hey, shout out yes. to Leck. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Leck. And I always, I give him a lot of credit. You all, and you always yeah. have. Yes, because not only did he say, why don't you take pictures of graffiti, he showed me in his notebook something that he had drawn and then painted on a wall. I have a picture of him holding up his book against the wall, and he said, I can introduce you to a king. And he did, and the king was Sandy. Mm. We went out to East New York. We knocked on Dandy's door, and the rest is history. <laughs> no, I mean, and then I got obsessed with graffiti. So, so what was it about graffiti that really spoke to you? The idea that kids had their own form of art and their own aesthetics that they could talk about indefinitely, and that adults didn't. It was like a secret art form that at the time adults really didn't understand. Most adults didn't understand, very few. And they kind of let me into the world. And so I felt like I had been allowed a glimpse of this secret Sure, you got, world. A- you got access. You know, and they could talk about whether paint should drip or not drip and what colors were, I mean, they would go out to New Jersey looking for a particular shade of brown or something, and then they would see it on the train and they could identify it. and. You know, and then the whole thing about going over each other's pieces. And I mean, the whole thing was just so interesting to me. It is. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's amazing. You chose to sort of make that your like personal project for a long time, right? With uh, maybe I would printing say it it's here and <laughs> like it's a, life, day, it's a life. Yeah, like yeah. It's a, your life. I mean, that was not my intention at the time because at the time I thought this was something that was only going to happen in New York. And I thought that. I could maybe get a magazine article out of it or something. I, I didn't see it as a lifelong project. And so your first book in 1984? Yeah, with Henry. With Henry. Chalfant. So when, when, how did you meet uh, Henry Chalfant? Some, by the, the time I met Henry, I had met a number of the writers. And a couple of them had said, oh, there's this other guy that's photographing trains and they sort of described how he was doing it which was completely different from how I was doing it and I didn't quite understand and then they told me that he had a show uh, opening it was at OK Harris so I went to his show and that's when I met him and you were like I'm taking pictures of trains too I'm I'm documenting graffiti Mm -hmm. we should sit down and talk yeah I mean he invited me to his studio and I mean it wasn't as if we said oh let's do a book together that happened Later. Later, right. Yeah. After you guys were comparing notes. And and it, there was like a little bit of competition between us because then somebody would paint a whole car and they would tell both of us because we, we were the way they could get photographs of their trains. Right. Good photographs. I mean, sure, they sure, always sure. took their own photographs, but our photographs were better, obviously. And so you're running around taking pictures of graffiti. The writers are tipping you off to where they painted. Mm -hmm. Even which side they painted on. Ah. Because, for example, the twos never turned around. So how are you getting sort of access to adjacent um, 
areas, not necessarily like on the train platform, which no, no, would mine were too close. I was, of course, you were always fought right. Oh, so you lots. would just. But what if there wasn't a vacant lot? Would you talk to the building no. owner and say, "Hey, I need no, to no, like- because it would be along we the line." So I had a car and I would drive up and down the line looking for those the the spot. places where I could not just see a little bit of the train, but see the train coming, so that I would be able to get ready. Couldn't be between buildings. It had to be a wide open area where I could see the train coming. So this is almost all out of borough, except for like in Harlem when the train's got it above ground. It was mostly Bronx. Mostly and Bronx. Harlem. Yeah, right, little, right, the right, threes right. in Harlem, but not, not the threes, the ones in Harlem. Okay. How did your life change <laughs> after you published your first book? You know, at first, Subway Art did not do well. So it was quite disappointing, actually. Huh. It kind of, I thought it would change my life. It didn't really change my life. And I also thought that it was going to be a ticket to more and better assignments. Sure. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, just the way we were talking about it, that you could hand somebody a book and and they would go, oh, wow, that's amazing. And don't you want to photograph X for us? Nah. So there were about 20 years in there where I was just photographing corporate events, for example. That was my money maker. A stark contrast to, you know. Yeah, nothing particularly interesting. I don't have any pictures. I was going to say I don't have any pictures from those years that I care to look at now. But the truth is that except for the things that I photograph for myself, I even the national, I don't have any pollen pictures that I particularly care to look at. Well, uh, just so you know, I got subway art. I think when I turned 11 from my <laughs> Uncle John, who was my, he, I mean, Uncle John's 85 now. Uncle John would always hook me up with like the coolest music and the coolest books. And he didn't have any kids. His friends had kids and they were older than me. And he would ask them like, what's popping? Like, what is, what's the cool music? What's, who's the cool band? What's the cool um you know, book. And when I got subway art, I was just completely shocked because I had ridden trains, but I didn't understand that it was sort of a movement. I just thought it was just like that. Were you already doing any kind of art? No. I mean, I was doing art, but I wasn't doing graffiti and I was doing bubble letters, you know, very junior high, Long Island, Jewish girl, bubble letters and bunnies. And I had my formula of... um, I would stack two circles and then another circle and make the, all these faces, all sort of mammalian faces, dogs, bunnies, whatever. But I was given the nickname of the claw when I was young. And then I started... From Claudia. From Claudia. And mm-hmm. then I started drawing like claw. claw, right? Anyway, who knew what a huge impact this would have on me in later life? But... I also remember when I first started hanging out with writers and uh, it was always about Henry. Hen- oh, yeah, you know Henry's book. And then I'd say, well, there's another name on that book and it's yeah. a woman. Like, who is this woman? And how did she get access to this? And how did she know that this was such an interesting subculture and an interesting community? How did she get interested in this? I was really like very interested in you as a as a young girl because it didn't seem to f- uh, be in the particular path of uh, what a woman would do and i i really it spoke to me 
Good. So the book didn't get you what you what you were hoping. It kind of didn't do that well. Um, but now, years later, it's so. It wasn't until yeah. It's I mean a lot, a lot. But but we had a terrible contract, so it sold a lot. But it wasn't like we made a lot of money because we didn't. We had we had not been able to get it published here. We had many many rejections. So we went to the Frankfurt Book Fair on our own money. We bought tickets to Germany and we went to the Frank took it to the Frankfurt Book Fair. We had a big um, layout which Henry still has, and but we share sometimes a great big. We made a huge sure. Um, and then dummy, remember you came out with cast. the well. There was a like big version of the book. That well, came but out. that was twenty five years later. That was twenty five yeah. years later. But so thank God you still um, had the layout. <laughs> yeah. Well, Thames and Hudson, the same publisher did it. Yeah. And the thing is, so we couldn't get an American publisher. So an English publisher published it. So all copies that were sold in the United States were foreign copies. And we didn't get a lawyer to go through the contract with us. And everyone stole the book anyway. Yes, I mean, it wasn't it was like you were going to get stolen any book. Like, it was the most stolen book. <laughs> so uh, they often locked it behind in cases and things in bookstores. So that then it was hard to buy it. Um, but... What I didn't realize was that it, it had developed a big following in Europe. And then when I published The Hip Hop Files many years later in 2004, and I went to Europe, Akeem, the publisher of that, brought me to Europe. I Suddenly I saw the impact that it had had because we traveled around to like 20 different countries. So, you, so you're telling me that from the time that you did the book until you went to Europe mm -hmm. in 2004, 20 years yep, later, 20 you years didn't later. realize no. the impact mm -mm. that that book had had globally on the graffiti community, but on the art community, on the hip hop community, you had no clue. No, I mean, maybe in around 2000, I think I first got online somewhere around 2000, the year 2000. And I remember being really amused that there was a graffiti website, which was... Art Crimes. Art Crimes, exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I thought, well, oh, that's hilarious, you know, that, that... And so maybe I had an inkling in those early, from 2000 to... Two, when I finally went to Europe in 2004, that it definitely had traveled, but I had no idea how pervasive graffiti well, was across Europe. What did you think about the 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 changing landscape in New York City with graffiti? Because graffiti changed so much from the 80s to the 90s. Like, literally, when the last yeah. train stopped, mm -hmm. it was sort of like a, a tombstone went into graffiti. And right. then from that tombstone, sort of, an, a, like, there was a rebirth after that. And I mean, during those years in the, I mean, I felt like I had invested so much in graffiti and that it, that maybe I'd made a mistake. And so I'm like, I can't do this because, oh, because, and also I'd gotten divorced then. So I really had to make a living in New sure. York because we know New York is expensive. And I'm like, this isn't going to be the way to do it. So I, in the nineties, I didn't, for example, all that beginning early street art, I didn't shoot it. What's the name of that book that Barry McGee and... Um, Beautiful Losers? Yes. I knew nothing about Beautiful Losers. I didn't see the show. I didn't hear about the book. I didn't... But around when the when Hip Hop Files came out was just about the time when I became, became aware of street art. There was a Prince Street or Spring Street show around 2006, 
somebody invited me to be on a panel and I thought, well, you know, if this is happening, I'm just going to jump back in again. So as, I, I as made a should. decision. I made a decision to to come back because <laughs> I'm like, okay, if if people are really looking at this, but it for those 20 years, I mean, I did publish, I don't know if you remember, RIP Memorial War. I do, I do. And it's you funny know? because back then, sort of Chico in particular, who yeah, was featured Chico. heavily, yes. who sort of took his style a lot from like the Tats crew who are hugely like proficient, incredibly yes. talented. And right. Chico seemed like sort of their, um, you know, step cousin that wasn't. Yes. But now when I look at that book, it's so incredible and so like a time capsule of New York City of and and Chico's just completely amazing. I can't even believe how much how I mean, much I enjoy owned, it. He owned the Lower East Side. He did. You know, and, and he kept it going and he has he's on Instagram now. Is he? Yeah, oh well he is. I have beef with him. But anyway. But um But I'll tell you something, strangely enough, like I'm going to put in my two cents here because in the 90s when I started writing graffiti, like I missed the whole train era. Sort of everyone hated graffiti. The the train writers hated graffiti. We moved to the street. We were street bombing. The public hated graffiti. It, it, it was really this very like dark time for graffiti and it was just for us, by us and sort of nobody else could sort of be involved. And then it shifted a lot in the late 90s and early 2000s where it became sort of celebrated into the culture again. But I was out of it in the 90s. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm making a living with photography and it's not going to be with graffiti. (laughs) So here we are, 2004, you do your panel... Now you and travel around Europe because Hakeem brought me to Hakeem, ah. who published the Hip Hop Files. And so you must have been literally in shock, like, oh my it was god, amazing. it's like it was amazing. And so many people showed up with copies of Subway Art for me to sign. I'm like, oh, you know, you got me into this. You saved my life. You, I mean, wonderful things. Yeah, heartening things. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's very interesting. Graffiti, as much as it's like an illegal thing, it's also um, something that's a, a great emancipator of oneself and uh, a, a self-actualization tool. Um, <laughs> that's good. I like that. You know, to mm-hmm. really see what one can do with oneself. All right. So now you're in Europe. You put out uh, R.I.P. When did you put out the R.I.P. Memorial Wall book? 94. 94. So, in fact, I mean, in the 90s, I so did. So, you were. You were yes, taking pictures? but, you know, I saw, I was. I mean, but I saw the memorial walls as being, actually, there's somewhere between graffiti and street art as being a different phenomenon. And sure. it was a different it phenomenon. It absolutely was. The thing is, the neighborhoods hired artists to paint walls, basically, for people that they loved who had mostly untimely deaths guns, drugs, something like that. It's a, it's a rare thing to see those now. Yes, it is. But if I do, I take a picture. Because I think that advertising has taken over so many of those spaces. Oh, that, that could where, be. And, mm-hmm. and it's just not popular in the, in, nope. the same, in the same way. It isn't. And I think it's really hard to get wall space in general. Yeah. So. Well, especially in Manhattan. Especially in Manhattan. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't even think about that as sort of like a link to street art. Well, because there was a lot more about imagery 
in in those walls because they were often painting maybe not things that the people who died owned, but they often painted, for example, things they wanted to own, like a fancy car. Sure. Or something as a kind of tribute to them. Sure. And uh, so there was, there was often a lot of imagery, but also there was lettering, but the lettering tended to be straight letters. Right. It was sim- uh, That the community way. would be able to read. Yeah, so I did, I mean, it wasn't like I totally stopped photographing, but I also did a lot of work with City Lure, and I shot a lot of neighborhood kinds of activities, mm-hmm. City Lure being a folklore I group, love, I love City Lure. Yeah. They're on first and first. Yes, first and first. So uh, I was supposedly the director of not photography. Only, not only supposedly, <laughs> but really. Well, I didn't do much directing, but I did shoot a bunch of projects with uh, academics who could provide the entree into the subject matter, which was always good. And I did a book about Chinese New Year's, for example, mm-hmm. children's book. Um, I gotta get that. Yeah, it's cute. It's called yeah. Lion Dancer. Oh, I can. It's very cute. Oh, and over the years, Lion Dancer has made more money in royalties than Subway Art. Isn't that weird? Yeah, because these publishers, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Line Dancer is published by Scholastic. So I did like three little children's books. I mean, to have a Martha Cooper book in your in your kid's library is must be a very special thing, I know. I need to get on that immediately. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> one, one is about a little, it's called My Two Worlds, about a little Dominican girl who go, goes back for Christmas to the Dominican Republic. Aww. It's very cute. That is very uh-huh. cute. And, and what's the third the one? The third one is called Born to Rope. And it's about a little boy in N. Is, there's a graffiti connection here because I was at some graffiti event and his uncle is a graffiti writer. And anyway, he was he's a little, was a little roper, you know, roper with horse rope totally (laughs) a trick roper not not like actual roping of animals but more like spinning ropes right he was like annie uh, oakley yeah adorable (laughs) i'm sure here if you google it you can find born to rope and what what is i mean they're all out of print now i think well no chinese new year's chinese new year's is is still in print Mm. yeah oh yeah i think you can you know amazon for like a dollar 98 so do you like doing books I do, you know what? I like print. I'm still kind of addicted to print. Uh, it has so much of a little more like lasting. You, know, you don't so need so nice. electricity to look at it. <laughs> right. And there's something so nice about leafing through something and then leafing backwards and not have to sort of deal yeah, with like the uh-huh. glitchiness of yep. uh, the internet or I technology yep. and without the backlight and yeah, all yeah. of that. You In, know, and um, but do you like the actual process of making a book? Yes and no. There's some of the process of making a book is you have to argue a lot with the publisher. You have to. I mean, there's a lot of details to be taken. There are a million decisions to be made. It's, you know, you can really get bogged down in the details. Every single layout and cropping, especially of photographs, is something in that does designers like to take over your work in ways that especially with photographs I don't like they maybe think your photos aren't jazzy enough and they attempt to jazz them up by adding collaging or shaping or whatever which I always think my I've designed my photographs like don't touch but that's an argument and the publisher's well you know we got to sell this book so we got to do this that or the other 
Yeah, I mean, I do mostly. I do like the idea when when you're in the middle of a book project, you're really you have something to like wake up and think about and do every day, and I like that. I mean, it's a big project, and I like big projects. And how do you like a sort of the? It must be very different than the way you laid out the book in 1984 than the way you lay out the book today, because now it's all digital. Yeah, I mean, now you can. Uh, we I still have a lot of the letters that went back and forth um, from Subway Art. And and by the way, there's a, I don't know if I told you about this, a documentary coming out about me. I know. And, well, yeah, I wanted to talk yes. about that at the end. Yes, so yes. she, of course, <laughs> Selena, who's making it, went through all of that stuff. And there were, at first, the letters were actually mailed letters. And then I guess all of the Subway Art letters were mailed. Then the RIP were faxes. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it was the era of On fax, that weird you know. paper? Yes. <laughs> and uh, faxing back and forth. And But can you imagine having to, I mean, of course you could have a telephone conversation, but when you were talking about layouts and, and in order to draw them out, so I actually drew out a lot of things. And I will say one thing about Subway Art. I fought very hard against the cover of the first book, which is a collage of trains. Uh-huh. And I wanted this picture of Dandi in the yards. Not the picture. Not the straddling Not the straddling, but Uh another picture that I, because it had black at the top and the bottom and a good place to put type. And uh, I drew it all out and I I fought tooth and nail and, of course, didn't get my way. However, more than 25 years later, the present edition, because there's been an edition after- Marty got her way? You got the cover? I didn't even ask for it. The designers chose that picture for the cover. Yeah. And I, I still had my original drawing that I had made so many years ago. So um, so I feel like I, I'm not completely at a loss when it comes to design. Right. And what we'll say. like I went to art school, okay? I graduated when I was 19. Yeah. Okay. But they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, graffiti being sort of the mother of street art, right? Wouldn't you say that? Uh, I, yes, I would say that the the idea of appropriating space is the, the thing that is most appeals to the regular artists, as opposed to graffiti artists. Like your your regular artist who wants to paint something and can't get into a gallery can go out on the street and and probably never thought about the idea that they could do it without permission. Right. But in terms of the two cultures. They're completely They're different. They're very, very different. And Although there's a definitely there's some people that do both and there's a overlap. But sure. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. But the attitudes are very different. Very different. And sort of the content is different. And Yeah, I mean, I think graffiti writers gave artists the idea of like, you don't need to wait for somebody to admire your work to, to get it out there. Right. In public. You can can seize the space. You can seize the space. And maybe even, okay, you can ask for the space if they don't want to seize the space. But putting it out in public was an idea that the graffiti writers really championed. Well, I I noticed that there's still so much of a disconnect between uh, graffiti and street art because... Sometimes the street artists, and I'm down with tons and tons of street artists. A lot of a lot of people I call friends, and a lot of people whose work I love. But there, there was 
sort of this permissive attitude that, oh, this is just graffiti. I'll I'm, go a, over oh, I'm an it. artist. Yeah. So I'm yes. going to go over this. Yes. And they didn't really sort of like respect um, the space as being taken. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's sort of a lot of backlash where there's a lot of people tagging over these murals mm-hmm. because there isn't the same sort of respect given and now they're not going to give it back or something and I think that's um, you know a a shame because nobody sort of wins with that right it's just I think the photographer wins the (laughs) photographer yeah you're right the photographer because they get it they get both uh, like the pure forms of it and the thing is that if if these walls lasted forever I definitely wouldn't be interested in photographing them right for me the ephemeral part is the interesting part and for example, the wall that Jr. just put up immediately the next day. I don't know if you saw there was a he he pasted a wall. I saw gun. Time the Time and, magazine cover. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. But immediately the next day, somebody had because of the murders in Pittsburgh had put a big eleven in red and splashed red paint on the uh, gun side of the wall, which to me made it a much more powerful wall. I mean, I really. But the fact that I have had it before and after. Whereas nobody can now get it before. That's right. It's done. And so... Are they going to leave the 11 on it? I don't know. I've asked and I didn't get an answer. Hmm. Um, But that wall was... They were only going to leave that up for a couple of weeks anyway. So whether they are now going to... um, He was going to paste another because they felt it was so dark. They didn't... (laughs) It was was sort of a temporary wall that they were going to put up for two weeks. And then he was going to paste another wall. So I haven't heard whether he's still going to do that wall or whether... They're going to leave it. I I think it's very powerful now. Well, I would leave it. That's a favorite wall for uh, graffiti writers to yes. to uh, write it over is. and um, yep. to sort of you know give a big f you to the establishment yep. and um, also a fantastic location to have a million eyeballs on it mm-hmm. every day. Yeah, I mean, before Jr. pasted, they they primed the wall with white, and somebody uh, did a big fire extinguisher tag over it, and I have a picture of that too. So, I like it in all its incarnations. Are you getting hot tips from people like, "Hey, you better get over here"? There's blah blah I, blah blah um, here. I do sometimes get people will send me saying, "Hey, it got tagged," and uh, not not so often, but yeah. Got to get like a little like camera that where you can like check yes, it all. Yes, actually, they they have. <laughs> you need access to it. But um, now you know. Now so many people have cameras. They don't. It's not as if anybody needs me to take a picture. So I'm going to also ask you the age old question that um, I'm always grapple with, and that I've been asked a million times, or people have assumed um, a viewpoint: Is graffiti hip hop? Oh, good question. Um, well, I'm not going to attempt to answer no, that. No, no, your ver- for me, like, what? no. But I would for say you, for you. um your uh, my feeling is that the media and that includes myself packaged it in a way that when it um hip hop was sent to your well, for example, Henry had an event uh the first event where the B-boys came in 1981 and he had a graffiti backdrop. And we took pictures of that, and it kind of got packaged with the graffiti backdrop, the b-boys dancing, DJing, and emceeing as, and some people throw style in as the fifth element. And when it went to Europe, that people are always telling me, oh, you know, graffiti has five elements and blah, blah, blah. 
lots of graffiti writers do not want to be connected to hip hop. And they're adamant about that. They're like, we weren't listening to hip hop. We came earlier than hip hop. We have a longer history than hip hop. And they they do not think that they're associated. But then there's some that are the later or the later writers, I think. So, it, it was packaged together, and it yeah. was this and like, I, urban I mean, expression. I, I'm partly to blame, but I think also there was a lot of overlap. Like someone who's there was like there, a like yes. Doze, right? Yes. He yes. Doze was a break dancer and a graffiti style. Yeah, you know, and there God. there were rappers that who wrote graffiti too. So. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I guess it's a obvious assumption, but yes, I I agree with you that it is its own culture mm-hmm. and and completely yeah. separate. Though there have been lots of hip hop tracks in the back, yeah, <laughs> um, and plenty of albums that use graffiti style lettering on the covers and that kind of thing. Right, and uh, I mean, one of our my favorite graffiti artist who sort of is so important in hip hop um say. logo right exactly say say, say, say adams say mm-hmm. adams yeah. um created you know the beastie boys and def jam and yeah i mean he I was mean, the art director for def jam i think yeah and he, you know and recently you know he did the logo for google the hip hop Oh, the, did the, he? the google doodle do you know every day they have a different sure. and say did um when they did a hip, the his, some kind of hip hop history, uh-huh. the first Google Doodle about hip hop say design. I mean, it has to be so, say. It has to yeah. be say. Absolutely, and and good for him. But yeah. th- this brings me to my next question, which is, what got you interested in B Girls? Because this was another book uh, that you okay. did. So, um, you having this you know mono focus about graffiti and then later into like street art and public public art how did you get interested in B-girls. in b girls um, and i know you wanted to shoot the women because you're a woman in there unsung yes, but then i've i've been kicking myself for years actually for not doing more with women back in the day and I've there heard, were none. Well, it tur- <laughs> I mean, but you know, but I mean, now, but you hear about it, and it turns out there were some. I mean, yeah, turns out there were, and and I kind of missed. Like I, I, I should have searched harder. I feel that I should have searched harder. So, when I was traveling around for the hip hop files, and Akeem was taking me to all these places, and he took me to the Battle of the Year, and there were some B girls dancing, not with the guy crew, but in like in the lobby area <laughs> by themselves sort of and they were good and and i immediately said nico was with me uh who wound up doing that book with me and because she at the time was working for akim so she was traveling to all these different countries for the hip-hop files i said we should do a book on b-girls you know and i felt like i had ignored the female part of the culture before and that i wanted to concentrate on that and we did. Well, it was a great book. Thank you. I mean, again, it did not. It's it very niche, right? Martha. Yeah. It's <laughs> a very niche book. I mean. Another I, out of print book. <laughs> but I also feel like, um, you know, B-girls, B-boys, breakdancing was popular and then it just sort of died. And yes, it's still alive and you can find it if you want it. But it's, it doesn't. 
sort of translate the the way it did its importance, its um, energy, you know, people sort of just, you know, that's old. And but it's still in certain areas, it's alive and well. I was just in Bayonne, France, and they had Beat, they love beat Street Day. <laughs> and uh, there were, Nika is now very keen on continuing to shoot B-girls, and she was setting up shots with B-girls. And, and there were young, young B-girls, so... I mean, I'm happy to see that it it hasn't died out completely. No, and um, I don't I don't know if it ever will. But isn't it interesting that Europeans that have such a, like an old like rich culture they yeah. really like love American culture so much. It, it's some and Japanese and Japanese, mm-hmm. right? And and yeah. I feel like we're sort of losing our edge a little bit now internationally. Yep. Like, that's you know. a good thing. Do we want? To- um, um, Continue to create culture and inspire um, the world. Uh, you yeah, know what? Sure. I think Let's we had yeah, keep it going. But <laughs> you know, we've had our day, and especially in this era, this Trump Trumpian era, it's like I'm willing to for the focus not to be so much on us, but let's let's look at those cool Europeans. Okay, and and not just Europeans. I mean, I just was invited to Tbilisi, Georgia. I mean, I I went to Georgia. They're they're. You mean in, in like Russia, it, the Georgia. former, yeah, Not in Georgia Russia, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> and um, Tuscaloosa, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and a lot of graffiti in Tbilisi. I and and I've been to Moscow three times for Artmosphere. A lot of um, graffiti in in Moscow in places that you wouldn't expect. I've been to Tahiti four times for graffiti. Now, can you believe this? In Tahiti, the um, tourist bureau supports the festivals, and they are some of them are really graffiti festivals, so okay. like graffiti competitions where people from all over the world are coming. Sure. Now, would you imagine that anybody would ever say, you know, I'd really like to go to Tahiti to see some graffiti? You could. It sounds so good. Like, it's like the new. Yeah. It's, the, it's the new advertising campaign. Yeah, but I, that. That is kind of amazing, right? Yeah. Like and here you have some a place where you think somebody might want to go to get away from graffiti. Well, uh, it's interesting, though. You know, I've traveled all over the world, as I'm sure you have traveled more well, than I, I have. And we then you met always see... Claw, didn't we meet in South Africa? We hung out in South Africa, yes. but we had met before that. No, no, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean meet for the first time. I mean, we met up. I ran yes. into Martha we in South Africa. Into, we bumped into each we other. We bumped it wasn't into each other. If, and then we I said, on, I'm going to a safari. I'm going to pet oh, baby right. lions. lions. And right. you're like, can I come with you? And I was like, yes, yes. I'm going to make a real. I'm like, I'm yes, we petted her. lions. And we did. We pet baby lions. Yeah. And a giraffe. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. I remember the giraffe. Got like we a fed, licked. Yeah. I got licked yep. by that giraffe's tongue. Yep. Whoa. Fed him. Right. Yeah. Some yep, kind yep. of. That was an awesome day. Yep. And I think I think I have some good pictures that you took of me with the lions. Yeah, I think maybe yeah, yeah it's all coming back. But anyway, <laughs> who would have thought, right? Indeed. That, but isn't it crazy? Sort of in every corner of the world, you will find graffiti. It's crazy. The other thing that I noticed that's all over the world when it comes to graffiti is Tupac graffiti. I don't know if you noticed that. No. I ah, keep your eyes open. Okay. People write messages about Tupac. Oh, really? Okay. All over the world. Like, Tupac is God. Tupac lives. It's just like okay. a crazy... 
like statement in every country I've ever been in. There's Tupac graffiti. The guy's been dead for a long yes. time. And okay. um, I will keep my eyes. Yes, open. I know Martha. Martha's new book, uh, Tupac Murals <laughs> Around the World. <laughs> I bet there's a. Uh, there might be. I'm trying to think what year he died. Well, I do have a memorial wall. You him. do. It, you and, do in in your and book. So by it a. must Charles? have been around. Yes. It's the A. It Charles Wall. Yes. Yeah. So it must have been around, but it didn't make the book. No, it's not in the book. Oh, it's not. So, but I remember shooting it. So I think it must have been just after the book. So I would say he probably died around 94. Yeah. 96. 96. Okay. See, close. Oh, Tupac's yeah. been dead for 22 years. Wow. No more. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Somebody said he's in Cuba, yeah. oh. but it's just some guy who looks like him. I heard. Yes. That there is a movie coming out, a documentary about you. Martha the movie. Martha the movie. <laughs> well, the movie is to be called Martha. <laughs> and and um, and what is this movie? Is this movie testimonies of everybody around the world who loves you? Is this the uh, day in the life of, <laughs> of Martha on the Upper West Side getting muffins and coffee? Is this with you and your cat and all of your like cool Kodak um, stuff in your home? Your art collection? It's a little bit of all of that. It's a I little think, bit of all of I that. I think, but you realize I haven't seen the movie yet, so I don't know exactly what's in the movie. But the film crew has been shooting... All of that, everything you mentioned has been shot. And have they been, and did they interview you at Lip? Oh, yes. Um, yeah. You're like, I'm I'm the star, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, duh, it's about well, me. We'll see, we'll see. That's, I'm a little worried about what it's going to look like, but we'll see. You know, it, you, know? you never like any, like any, it, I, I hate all pictures of me. Yeah, I hate I all articles that come out. I hate all movies I'm in. I just hate it all. Yeah. Except for my podcast. I like my podcast. Well, you know, <laughs> voice is one thing, but then when I see myself, I'm like, oh, really? Oh, terrible. Because yeah. do you have an image of the way you... Yeah, of you, course. It, I, I see myself as like 20 years younger. So me then, too. Then you see them. <laughs> and, and much thinner. And, you know different all all those things me too yeah, so but then i know that if i live another 10 years and i look back well then i'll probably like it just takes a while to get used to so your image who in your opinion and yeah. this can change day to day yeah. it doesn't have to be this doesn't have to be marked in stone okay who is your favorite graffiti writer not personally stylistically oh you know i always hesitate to Say any why because somebody's gonna get it. Really? I, you know, I don't like to. Play you don't think favorites. it's just Blade? Come on, Blade's yeah. the best. Well, Blade is. He's the uh, de king. Definitely, he's the king. Yes. I mean, one of my yeah. Blade definitely conceptual is. genius. Yes. I mean, okay. he like really right. put it we'll down. With, right? Okay. Not only that, he did like four thousand five hundred pieces. A million zillion trains. He was on his own like wavelength, his own and, and yep, yep. He made, all his characters he, he made up himself. I feel like that's not something that you need to feel sad or mad about. I feel like everyone who really knows anything about graffiti would respect that opinion and would not be heard or feel compromised in any way that you would say that. But in my, I mean, I just think Blade is just... But actually personality-wise, too. He's hilarious. He is. He's like larger than life. I don't and think I've ever met him, but uh, no, no, no. Oh, no, and his wife, Portia, is great. I know Portia. And, yeah. Portia, I know. So Portia and Blade together like a power twosome. And, power couple. Yeah, and Portia puts all, 
if I don't know if you're following. I do, Taraji Queen. Yep, Taraji <laughs> Queen. Yeah, exactly. So she's like, because she's the computer nerd of the two of them. He rarely get he, but he writes me postcards from everywhere. Does he? He, he handwrites things, and uh, but she's the computer person. I mean, to me, Blade took it to to another level and really like showed you that all you needed was to have some cans and, and yeah. a wild imagination. And I think that um, I will forever be indebted to him for. Um, though probably when I was younger, I wouldn't have said he was my favorite. It's just now where I am because that stuff was unprecedented, never yeah. done before. He's definitely and plus i mean i've i've seen a lot of him recently he was also in paris he just, had just a huge, recently. right and he had a, a huge retrospective in amsterdam right they did like the he's traveling all the time i mean did you must have seen henry's thing in pictures in madrid where they built these big trains and they covered them with henry's pictures of the real trains wow full no, size I and that. blade was there that was just like in the past month um, yeah, I mean, stuff is happening. I can't keep up with it all. Yeah. Well, yeah. he deserves his, but he, his yeah, day. Yeah, he deserves, and he's traveling around, and I think he's coming into his own. Um, I I always think of him whenever I when people ask me about uh, hip-hop and stuff, because... You know, there's the Yeah, he definitely my, would not be... He would definitely not call himself hip-hop. So... Would you say after this movie comes out, you are going to retire and hang up your hat? <laughs> You're like, um, I'm done. This is it. Like, I've I put out all these books over the last like 40 years. Here's a documentary on me. Like, now I want to like sit in my rocking chair and like knit booties or no, whatever. I'm never going to sit. <laughs> I'm never going <laughs> to knit booties in a rocking chair. Um, you know, I, I'm not good at predicting the future. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm certainly not going to stop taking pictures. I was going to say, is work a vital part of your yes. life? I don't know what I would do without being able to take pictures. I sort of see the world through a camera. Um, so on the when, other you're, hand, when you're looking at stuff, yeah. are you like, oh, this would be a great yes, photo? Pretty much. I'm always... Like, frame, you're framing it up yeah, in your head. And when I'm not taking pictures, I'm usually thinking, you know, you really should be taking a picture of this but or... Should, or Asking myself, should should I really be doing? And sometimes I get lazy and I don't feel like it. But and this morning, first I had my big camera packed in my bag to come down here, and then I'm like, nah, I'll just take my phone. And then I'm like, nah. And so I took. I have like a medium sized camera in my bag, <laughs> just never knowing exactly what I might. There's there's somebody that's supposed jazz from Argentina told me last night that he's going to be painting on Lafayette. Uh-huh. And I like Jazz's work a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with his I'm work. Not. J-A-Z is one of the really best street artists, I think. Uh-huh. And so I'm going to do that after this. He said he was going to be there around, well, he's there now, unless it's pouring out. So then, yeah, it was a big camera, little camera, telephone camera. So what is your preferred yeah. um, medium to take pictures with it? Is well, it I like my big camera, but it's very heavy. Okay. Why do you like it? Because it's just well, a better because it's quality. better. It's better. Yes. And the files are huge. And so if I ever want to blow them up big, okay. I can. And, you know, it 
it captures lights and darks better than anything else. And so just how, better. how are you are you storing your pictures as raw files? How do you save I, all your work? I sh mostly shoot raw and JPEG okay. because often people that I want to give the pictures to can't handle the raw. Uh, if it's a client, for example. Sure, I know, I know. And you know so they people don't give know me raw to, files, I yeah. have to edit them. I'm like, what? Ah, well, I can't even yeah. do this. Yes. What's the trick for that? Well, there's no trick. It's just time consuming. Right. I mean, so you have to like. It's very time consuming. Like, and I have I have a big RAID system at home with many terabytes. And uh, yeah, the storage is a problem, of course. Right. So I'm about to go to Art Basel uh -huh. to shoot Winwood Walls. Uh huh for the 10th time. And I pretty much told them, and we, we can go public with this, but I haven't really said it publicly before, that this will be the last year. So everybody get your ticket down yeah. to Miami immediately <laughs> if you want to see Martha Cooper, because this is it. Because I've 10 years of it, because Wynwood has gotten to be I don't know if you've been down there during Art Basel, but it's... You've taken pictures of me during well, Art Basel. Well, who can remember? Remember, See? I found you driving around in your car, and I'm like, uh, well, we're painting over here. Okay, well... One of the best photos I have of me in front okay, of my pieces was taken by you. And what year? Uh, by my, on my phone. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say it was probably like 2011 or something okay, like that. Okay, well, see, who can even... Right. Um, I've got an elderly <laughs> brain and I can't remember these. But it's just gotten crazy down there. I, I, I don't go anymore. And, I never um, go. I'm done. I'm like over it. And I enjoy it. Uh-huh. You know, I enjoy seeing artists at work. I like to watch the process. Mm -hmm. I'm not about, oh, let's go shoot all the finished walls. I like to see, okay, how are they doing that? You know, how is this getting put together here? Well, do you know that when I paint, like my during my process, when P if I'm getting photographed, I really hate it yeah, while I'm painting mm -hmm. because it looks like caca. It looks so bad and they're just like rough notes and the way I paint, I sort of am letting stuff dry in different zones. So it's like sort of mm -hmm. half done here and a little bit done here. And it really, and then like people are just shooting and shooting. And I'm like, oh, can you not take a picture yeah, but of, of course, it? I always, I, I like the I mean, not whole you, process. of course, not on you. I mean. But I do like to get the finished shot. Of course, you but have to get it, the finished shot. But only the finished shot is sort of not enough for me. It has to be especially interesting if I only see a finished wall. I'd like to see it develop. Right. From nothing to finished, you know, and how, and especially if there's like a little stencil in there or some interesting use of some material that I'm, that I haven't seen before that keeps me interested. So the last year that you're going to Art Basel, it must be so what if crazy. I change my mind. I know you're allowed to. You're allowed, allowed to. Okay. You can come I, out. I of basically said, "Let's anytime. see how this year goes." That's I'm thinking a, that it might be my last year. That uh, I weirdly said, "I'm not. I'm not going back." But yet, if you I got might. a great invitation, I might yes. be down there. <laughs> Not this year, though. All right, Marty. Well, I'm so excited to see what's in the future. Retirement, non-retirement, Art Basel, not Art Basel, graffiti, street art, all of it. Continued success. Love you, you so much. Thank you so much. That was really fun. 
It's interesting to interview your friends and people you've known throughout the years because you always come away with something that you didn't know. And that makes the podcast worth doing just for those little gems. Martha is an author. She is a propagator. She has a singular steadfast vision, which is to put graffiti and street art into the forefront of the art world. And I personally thank you for making that your life's mission, for making it important to other people besides just the people within the culture and for tirelessly focusing on the underdog. Thank you to Martha Cooper and all the people that make graffiti culture a better place to be. Don't forget to subscribe and like the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. We want to hear your comments. I also would like to thank my producer, Jose Alfaro. Would like to thank Bubbles NYC for the tracks. You can catch me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Claw Money at my store in New York City, 101 Delancey Street. Follow our store on Instagram as we are the funniest retailers around at Claw Co. And check out my kids' brand at Claw Mini and ClawMini.com. Yo, have a good one. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.